Welcome to Inside the Sports Car Paddock for the week of April 15th. Kicking off as usual with our dear friend Jeff Brown, race engineer for the Core Autosport IMSA DPI program. Interesting subject there. We follow next with President and CEO of the World Endurance Championship, Gerard Naveau, who spoke with our pal Graham Goodwin, the ELMS season opener last weekend in Le Castellet, France. Then follow with Elton Julian, winner of the overall race there in LMP2 with the Dragon Speed team. Interesting thoughts from Elton, comparisons between that paddock uh, and also the WEC and IndyCar, places where his team is playing now in 2019. Also have Pippo Durrani, who is a good friend, speaking about this Le Mans opportunity he has with Risi Competizione. And then we close with a 16-year-old Lithuanian LMP3 driver by the name of Gustas Grinbergas on his route to sports cars and how, interestingly, our weekend sports cars show, the one that Graham and I do usually the middle of every week, played a significant part in helping him to learn about the sport. So how crazy that our little show might have actually helped somebody. On the topic of help, though, with Jeff, we decided to do something a little bit different. We're always meandering around the general area of behind the scenes of motor racing, technology, engineering, strategy, structure, etc. Thought that coming off of a weekend in Long Beach where they were the first car out in the Bubba Burger Grand Prix IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship event, knowing how frustrations were high, knowing how all kinds of things that they planned on making happen never came to fruition actually just worked in that thread looking at things from jeff's view working with team owner sponsor and driver john bennett who did manage to stuff the thing into the wall and end their race before a single lap had been completed so throw some interesting engineering things at jeff knowing that there are definitely more street course laps to be turned not not too far away actually very early in june and how the result here might impact their planning and preparation for that dealing just with the team dynamic frustrations there also their treatment of john how is the person in charge is actually the one who goofed up and how do you work with that how do you make that not a big negative point so that's where we open with jeff then we move into uh, monsieur Nouveau. then we get on to our man elton julian pippo durani and then young mr grinbergas so hopefully you will enjoy this episode all brought to you by our dear friends at cooper tires and also the justice brothers why don't we talk about a weekend like the one that just completed Uh, Less than 48 hours ago for you with your race, the Bubba Burger Grand Prix, the IMSA event on the streets of Long Beach that went the exact opposite to everything you (laughs) and the team spent a lot of time planning for coming out of Sebring. Untold hours, untold everything, effort, uh, man hours, woman hours, strategy, logistics, driver training, fitness, engineering wizardry and it all kind of goes sideways very very early i'm not sure where we should begin on this journey but uh, just the thought of hey how does a team deal with what happened last weekend where it all goes wrong and it goes wrong early i mean that's also a pretty big part of uh, this game we have to get accustomed to absolutely yeah it's uh it, it, it is unfortunately uh, a lot of fans forget that you know, we had 19 cars in that race. Uh, two of them went away happy, the two class winners, and everybody else lost. It's uh, So we lost the same as everybody else, but in a slightly, um, I don't know, if you can lose worse than somebody else, mm. I guess that's, it, you know, that's possible. Um, you know, I like your word journey. Um, you know, our our truck journeyed from Rock Hill, South Carolina, which is almost in the Atlantic ocean all the way to basically the Pacific ocean for six corners. And now it's journeying all the way home to Rock Hill, South Carolina again. So yeah, things, things didn't go so well for us in the race. Um, and so, you know, there's always a lot of, um, uh, what can we do different? What should we have done different? How can we prevent that from happening? And, um, I, I think it's, it, it's really 
weekends like this or weekends, any weekend that you don't win, whether you're second or you're out in turn six on lap one, like we were, you always reflect on what you could do different because you don't want that to happen again. Um, and that is actually the norm in racing. That's, you know, last week we talked about getting into racing and how you do that and all of that. Well, if you happen to be in the sport or get into the sport, you're going to spend 95% of your time thinking about this kind of stuff. Why didn't we win? What went wrong? Why, what can we do better? This weekend was no different for us in that aspect. Um, it just, you know, we just found out we were going to be thinking that um, on the first lap rather than when the checkered flew. Um, but it's still the same, same process that most people go through. And, and I think it's what makes when you do actually win one makes it so sweet. So Jeff, you went into the weekend with both your son, Colin and the team owner driver and primary sponsor, if we want to call him that John Bennett with a plan for this 100 minute shortest IMSA race of the season. We saw that in qualifying sent John out to qualify the Minimum drive time to score points was five minutes, just uh, almost comically short, so that you had great <laughs> options to, in theory, and again, no disrespect to John, but knowing that 100-minute race is truly as hard as you can come during the season. There's no chance for anything less than 100%. The opportunity to have John qualify, have John run whatever amount of time, maybe tell us what you were thinking and planning on stint link mm-hmm. for John, but you had the opportunity in theory after five minutes of doing a driver change and potentially having Colin taking it to the checkered flag. Unfortunately, the first caution was John six corners in. I think duration wise in theory, you might've met the five minutes during, I'm not exactly sure how all that worked out, but just give us some thoughts about strategy coming in and trying, you know, having the one true non pro driver in DPI to try and manage. Yeah. It's, um, uh, the rules, as you said, require a five minute drive time. And really that's just, um, just to, meet the rule that IMSA has where you have to run two drivers. Uh, back in the day, that rule wasn't as, um, as detailed. And there were some loopholes in the rule where you could, in a sprint race like this, you could actually get away with one running one driver. And that's not in the spirit of quote, endurance sports car racing, sure. even though a hundred minute race is not endurance. So, so the, as we normally do, we qualify and start John, um, and he's used to that thing, used to that, that program. And the plan was to take the first yellow after 15 minutes. So IMSA closes their pit lane under yellows for the first 15 minutes of the race. Um, so we weren't going to pit under green at the five-minute mark because Long Beach is a very short lap but has the longest pit lane in the, in the whole circuit. So it's 47 seconds just to travel the pit lane. And then a pit stop with a driver change actually costs you a lap. If you make a driver change, um, you will lose a lap. So we we didn't want to do that. So we were hoping for a yellow 15 minutes into the race, between 15 minutes and when we would be out of fuel, which is was about 45 minutes, hoping for a yellow then. Um, we got that yellow. We were that yellow. So that didn't work out, but the strategy was, was to, was to take any yellow, um, in the first, after 15 minutes and change drivers to Colin and go from there. And, and and we talk about the hundred minute race and the strategy for a hundred minute race. We just came off the two longest races we have. And there there's talk, uh, we talk about, um, you know, not getting too excited, not being too aggressive early on in the race, ramping up your risk reward ratio as the race gets closer to the end. And at Daytona, the last two stints are like a normal race where you're pretty aggressive and you're laying it on the line and you're taking some chances. Well, at Long Beach, uh, I always say it, the race starts out like the last stint and a half at Daytona. Yeah. At the green. I mean, you, you are taking risks. You, you cannot afford to, to be easy 
or calm or not take risks. So the risk ratio is ramped way up at Long Beach. And we talk about that with our crew, their tire changes. You know, they're not getting in the swing of things on the first stop. Boy, that first stop at Long Beach better be the best one all year we've ever done. And that, so they ramp up their risk. They're going to, you know, they're, they're going to be quicker and faster and, and yeah, maybe a wheel nut gets away, but you know, if it doesn't get away and you spend two seconds making sure that it didn't, then you can lose the race because of that. Drivers are on the same program. John was on that program. John, John has traditionally brought our car back unscathed, healthy, to allow Colin or the other drivers a chance to go out and finish the race. And, but at Long Beach, you know, we told him and he knows he can't do that. He can't just keep it safe. We'll be a lap down when Colin gets in the car after 45 minutes, he's got to go, go, go. And so he starts that whole program off from the start of the weekend. And when you're, you know, I don't care if you're, if you're a, semi-pro driver like John or a top pro, when you ramp up your risk factor and you're going for it, you're, you know, things can happen. And that's exactly what happened to John. It wasn't like, what was he thinking or what was he doing? I mean, he cannot let the back of that pack drive away from him three seconds on the first lap because then it'll be three seconds the next lap. And suddenly when we make our pit stop 45 minutes in, we're going to lose a lap. So John has to crank it up and go for it. And, you know, that's, sometimes that happens. And he caught that wall on the inside by, missed it by a few inches. And boom, it was, you know, it was unfortunate it happened on the first lap. But it, we actually, everybody on the team is, it's going to sound weird. We're happy that he was going for it and going to be aggressive and all of that. Um, because we could be sitting here having this conversation Well, well, yeah, we got a lap down real early because John just drove around slow. Uh, and we're all racers. We'd rather crash out trying than just be slow and, you know, lose that way. So, so part of the <clears throat> engineer's duty in working with their driver or drivers is to manage the positives, also manage the negatives. When things go sideways like this, sometimes it's being hard on that person. Sometimes it's putting the arm around the person and coddling them in some way. Could be a bit of a different scenario, Jeff. And I think this might be interesting to share with folks who want to be future Jeff Browns. How do you do this with someone who is your boss, the person, again, who is funding it, who owns everything? It, it it might be different, I assume, than say this is a hired gun. I mean, heck, the other one's your kid. So, um, you know, you spanking him might be an option if he was the one who crashed. But just curious that, you know, there's some scenarios where you're looking at the person who just effed up royally and you realize, well, they are, regardless of their name or whatever international acclaim they might have, they're an employee. They're expected to deliver uh, and, and not do such things. How do you manage that when it is truly the boss? It, that's a great, <clears throat> that's a great question, and it is something that where, you know, race engineering the way it's done here in sports car racing and and to largely the same extent in IndyCar racing is is people management. It's an engineering management situation, and that's managing people and. So for me with John, I'm in a great position. John is, he accepts and embraces the role that I've kind of given him in the team. And I say when he lands on that flight at whatever track we're at and steps off that airplane, he is not treated by me or Colin or our data guys or our team manager as the owner or the boss or the sponsor. He is professional race car driver and that's the job we expect him to deliver and that's the job he focuses on delivering he, he never acts like there are times in the weekend where i uh, i'm like oh hmm, he is the boss you know we completely forget that um he's a 
He's a professional race car driver with a certain task. His task, his job is slightly different than what Colin's job is. And, and in a four hour race, or I mean, in a 24 hour race, we have four drivers. Each one of those drivers actually has a different job description of what we expect them to do. But John has to deliver his part of it. So we don't treat him any different and he doesn't expect to be treated any different, doesn't want to be treated any different. And so when something like this happens, um, it's, it's, it's a great culture within, within core. Uh, nobody's like, Oh, John's going to be angry. We better not say anything or whatever. And you know, Oh, now what do we do? No, it's, it wouldn't have mattered if that was Colin who hit the wall like that or Ramad Dumas or like Duvall or other drivers in the long races. It's, um, you know, we're not going to yell at them. They didn't try to hit the wall. It's like, well, what could we have done different? And, and I guarantee you, everybody on this team went through their mind quickly and probably quickly dismissed it. But, you know, my first thing was, oh, I wonder if that shock change I made right yeah, last night that we hadn't run. I wonder if that mm. caused the car to be a little too sharp. <laughs> and the tire guy went, oh, I hope the tire pressures were right. And, you know, the data guy, the traction control guy went, it was, I guarantee you, he was looking through his data going, uh, I, the traction control, did it, I hope it didn't come in too late and something happened. You know, everybody looks for what they could have done to prevent it. So when we're looking at the reaction and the management of what has happened, falling out of a race, six corners in, have a couple things I would imagine that also impact you, Jeff, from an engineering standpoint. So Friday morning at a two hour practice session, first time there at Long Beach on the new Michelin tires. So you're having mm-hmm. to learn, assess, hopefully figure out the uh, the proverbial Karen feeding of the brand new Michelins at Long Beach. Then go into quasi practice session slash qualifying Friday evening. Then you go race. So while I know that going into the race, you're looking to take everything that you learned on Friday, apply that, go have success, would also think that the relatively limited amount of track time on Friday before going racing would have left you in a position where during the race you were hoping to gather quality data, quality information, just to expand your further setup knowledge, definitely on the Michelin side too. How does this impact you? knowing that you did not get that uh, you got, what, one out of uh, the 100 minutes. You have 99 minutes of on-track learning that was not available. How do you deal with that in post-event processing with data? How might that impact when we head to Detroit here in a little over a month? Yeah, um, it's, it's, a pro- it's a thing. Um, I, I, the, probably where it will impact us the most will be Long Beach 2020. Because what we don't have that everybody else had was the 100-minute race and seeing how the track changed. So Long Beach track changes massively from a street track that's clean and, well, clean is probably not the right word, that doesn't have any rubber down, that's slippery, that, you know, had street cars on it all year long. And the track changes tremendously from that first session through the IndyCar practice and IndyCar qualifying and our practice and our qualifying. And then it changes massively in a hundred minute race. And so for us, we have no knowledge of how that, how the track changed during the race. Last year I had my notes on how that changed and our setup was based on our expectation of how the track would change and how it would be at the end. So we were in a, had a good setup to fight, at the end of the race. Well, that's what we had set our Nissan up to do, but we never got to see how that actually played out. So next year, everybody else is going to know exactly what the track did on the Michelin tire. Our only info that we had is how the continental tire and the track changed last year. So now we go into 2020, it's going to impact us a lot. We're, we're behind the game already for next year at Long Beach because we didn't, we didn't gather that data a little bit of a help that we could get. <clears throat> I could talk to some of the race engineers of the other cars and, 
and know that whatever I ask them, they're going to lie to me and tell me exactly the opposite. So I could use that <laughs> maybe, mm. um, you know, we all talk and we all dance around and don't tell each other anything that's really true. So that may or may not be <laughs> useful. <laughs> um, Nissan, what do you mean? We're running a Hyundai. What? No, right, right, I, right, where'd right. you come up with that? Yeah. So I probably can't get much there. That's, uh, but I, we do at core uh, as most people know, we have a GTLM team that actually won the race. And now that we're both on Michelin tires, not the same Michelin tire by any means, but they kind of in the same family and have similar characteristics. Again, definitely not the same by any means, but um, I can go talk to the race engineers from the GTLM car and see how they thought the track changed and at least get a little bit of that back that we, that we lost. Um, but other than that, it's, uh, it, 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 we're learning this car and every time we get to run it, every lap, we learn more and more and more. A lot of these teams have at least, this is their second year with the car with most teams. And some of the Cadillac teams are on year, what, three now, maybe four yeah, yeah. already. So, so we need every lap we can get. And so that was, that was unfortunate. So I guess as we start to look at closing out of the weekend, granted, there's a little bit of time before we get to mid Ohio, but going from a street course to a natural terrain road course, definitely not a lot you can take out of the visit to Southern California, but as a whole, how do you in a senior management role, uh, try and I guess, keep the team in a positive place help them with their short-term memory loss <laughs> for, for just forget it was there. Just think about the food you had, or if you went to the beach, just remember that part, but just drop the rest. How do you manage such a thing? Is that a thing that you try and manage? Uh, again, I know that you are there to make the vehicle go fast, but you're also someone that every single person in that team looks to at some point in time for leadership, uh, feeling and emotion, you know, everyone's looking at each other, trying to get reads. I know folks mm -hmm. are looking to you and queuing off of you as well. What do you do to make sure this doesn't stick or doesn't set the team back? Uh, well, that right there is a massive part of, of racing and, and, and likely any team sport. Um, we've, you know, it's that whole, uh, like football teams will talk about next play mental mentality. Uh, you know, you're a quarterback, you get intercepted or you drop a pass as a receiver and it was a critical play. You can't let that affect your mindset and your approach for the very next play. You have to get up and keep going and perform at a high level. And that's fortunately at core and it's not by luck. It's, you know, guys like John Bennett and Morgan Brady and, and all the people in the team, um, the culture there is such that we've, you know, it's been built enough where that's, we're not in danger of this affecting us tremendously. Will it affect us short term? Sure. Everybody was like, oh, darn. Um, but nobody's, as you said, the best teams have the shortest memories. And that's pretty much what we're on. I mean, um, for me, Personally, I went back to the hotel and started on Mid-Ohio. I, 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 that night, I was writing notes for my test plan and things I want to try and sent a basic build sheet to the crew guys for Mid-Ohio. You know, I just want to move on and get on to the next, to the next thing. The, the crew guys are, were already thinking, uh, Tyler Nuff, our data guy, I got that night I got the lifing sheet with all the mileages from Long Beach on every part that the car ran. Wow. Um, so I know he's thinking already mid Ohio, let's get this over and let's move on. Um, we have, um, we planned, uh, what we're going to do as far as simulation stuff for mid Ohio. And so a lot of guys, a lot of, a lot of it's just moving on, you know, no one, no one was mad. No one was, um, we had a fast car. Everybody was happy about that. You know, uh, second practice, I think we were 
two tenths off the quickest car. So we knew we had a good car. Um, you know, we had done all the strategy stuff in advance. Lots of Long Beach is the hardest strategy race of the year. I know it's only one or two pit stops, but it's the most difficult to figure out. And we had had long meetings and how we were going to do it and what ifs and what if the yellow comes out at 18 minutes. Okay, we'll do this. What happens if it comes out at 23 minutes? Okay, we'll do this. You know, we had it really detailed. So Tyler and I sat there during the race and we basically ran the race, you know, as if we had a ghost car still out there running, you know, okay, yellow's out. What will we do? We would pit, we would change the column, we would put these tires on, we would go back out, what would our pit windows be? Kind of ran through all the scenarios during the race, even though our car was behind the wall being fixed so we could load it on the trailer. Um, so I, I think you, the culture in the team is to just keep moving forward and get better, analyze what you could do differently. And as soon as you figured there's nothing we really could do differently, you just move on. And that, that's the same thing with John, you know, driving the car. You just have to, you just have to move on. And um, if you let that get you, you will, it will be much more detrimental. And unfortunately, I, again, I keep going back to the culture within core. It's just, we're just not built that way. So it's not like we have to struggle to do that. It's just kind of everybody shifts gears and poof, we're, we're you know, as Bill Belichick would say, we're on to mid-Ohio. Yeah. And that's kind of kind of the way it is. Well, and you are genuinely on to something different. Not mid-Ohio, but you're heading up here closer to me, to beloved Monterey, to do some good preparatory work tomorrow. And then you yep. finally head home for a little bit. So we have a whole list of great topics that keep coming in. That's one of the things that makes me really happy, Jeff, is there was early on, I think we're what week 13 now, 14, whatever it is of doing our show here. There mm -hmm. is definitely a worry. Like we're going to run out of stuff, right? Like, I mean, there's going to come <laughs> a point where there's nothing to talk about. And we keep either you have great ideas or folks send in great questions that keep adding to the list. So we encourage you to do so. Uh, do not hesitate to let us know on social media at Marshall Pruitt and yours is at JV Brown, or I always yep. forget. Yep, It's at JV, uh, B R A U N. Yep. Yep. So share your thoughts with us or on Facebook or whatever it is. Jeff is a uh, Instagram star as well with his various uh, coffee blends going on and whatnot work from the shop there. But uh, be sure to let us know if you've got ideas, things you want us to discuss on a technical front, engineering front, strategy, whatever, uh, mechanical related. This is the kind of geeky fun that he and I happen to have and love and open every episode of Inside the Sports Car Paddock with. So Jeff, my friend, thank you as always, and I look forward to our conversation next week on a topic that we don't even know what it will be. Sounds great. Uh, yep, uh, it was it was good. This uh, you know maybe wasn't super engineering geeky, but uh, it's something that all crew and engineers deal with at times. So I hope people enjoyed it. The Paul Ricard paddock and walking back with Gerard Naveau from LMEM. Gerard. I guess your first chance to really have a kind of relaxed look at the, the field for the European Le Mans series this season. What's your immediate reaction to it? Uh, very impressive. Happy and very impressive. Uh, but we I found one hour relaxed now to walk just in the pit lane to visit the garage to discover the car, the new livery of the car. And everything is really impressive. First of all, the, 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 the volume, the number of cars. 41 cars this 41 year. cars, plus the, the quality of the team. You can immediately, when you have a look on the garage, you can see how they were very professional. And um, you, you told me just a few minutes ago, it looks so calm. And it does. Uh, this is calm because this is very pro. So all the guys know exactly what they have to do. And I have to say that this is the, the calm before the big action. <laughs> now, everybody is very impatient to hear the noise of the engine and to see the action on the track, but it looks so impressive. That's, that's really a fantastic championship. That's, it's probably one of the best I have never had to manage before. Ah, so, 41 cars. We've also got, lest we forget, 31 cars around the back in the other paddock for the Michelin Le Mans Cup. Yep. This is part of the pyramid for... Uh, the ACO Rules Racing that leads up, of course, to your other charge, the FI World Endurance Championship and to the Le Mans 24 Hours, of course. Remarkably, in times which are economically difficult, this looks pretty good. 
Yeah, and I have to tell that this is we we try we are trying to build the sports car series and global weekend and platform at the European size for the European Championship. Um, so you you have with the Michelin Le Mans Cup the, the perfect preparation for the ELMS, and with the ELMS the perfect preparation if you want to jump to Le Mans or to WEC. And what we can say is that probably at this moment, and this is very sensitive. We, we found with the teams, with the partners, with the ACO, the good, I would say, the good, the, the good setup for the championship. And this is, now if you modify anything, you have to be careful. But we find a good setup, and this is clearly um, what helped the team to rejoin, because the business model is correct. And you have to never forget that in motorsport, there is different factors that you have to integrate for a successful championship and the business model is a crucial part of that on the other hand what we have to say and that's the, the, the work we are doing now in the pit lane is a good demonstration of that the quality of the car the product you propose on the track is really important and the job that the manufacturers from LMP2 LMP3 GT are doing is very impressive and we have the perfect cars at this moment if you want to race for sports cars difficult to find a better model than LMP2, LMP3 or GT at this moment so it's, it's really a, a good thing the third point very important is the global atmosphere I had a guest yesterday coming and said wow I'm surprised all the people say hello Gerard and uh, they call you with your, with your first name and, and they say that's the spirit of the paddock here is everybody say hello to everybody and there is a global spirit which is very good one a lot of respectful between the competitors and uh, uh, we feel that like a trust between officials and competitors between competitors and, and other competitors between competitors and manufacturers uh, same for the tires the manufacturers so this is like usually we say the family we feel really like with the family and this is something really appreciable uh, especially at this period two other questions one is about this place we'll come back to that in a moment because you have a special part yeah. in the history of this place and I can see why you're enjoying being back here the other one is it is that, that atmosphere it is that the weather that's working and whether or not the same is currently true I guess of the, the one that must take most of your time the WEC in a transition it's a difficult time right now wondering and worrying about the direction for that I know there's nothing you can tell us in terms of detail but what can we expect to see into next season for the WEC? So, first of all, it's difficult to compare because WEC is a world championship with manufacturers, which change totally the atmosphere in the paddock, first point. Second point, the internal process are totally different. Here, we manage everything 100% from the beginning to the end. We are responsible for everything. In the WEC, you have to share, and there is a process from the FIA, for example, which are totally different than the one we use here. And the relation between the, all the, the, the people involved in the program is a little bit different. Pressure is not the same. Nevertheless, the expectation for WEC next year is, um, is really good. Very frankly, we, we will have 100% sure a full grid with a uh, high number of cars. Um, the only thing that we have to fix in the in the near future now, and this is on the end of the ACO and, uh, and the FIA especially, is the tech regulation, technical regulation for the new regulation for the top categories in 2020. Uh, except that the rest of the grid is very well established between P2 and GTE. Uh, but for the strategy, uh, for sure, there is to clarify as soon as possible the situation and deliver to the fans, to the media, to the partners a clear visibility. Uh, nevertheless, don't be worried for the grid next year. The season 1920 will be a, a grid season with a full grid and a very intense program for sure. Let's finish with a few words about Paul Ricard and the smile comes back. Uh, it's, 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 you know, in your time here, you, you well, explain to our listeners what your role here was and for how long. I spent 12 years of my life here. But uh, in reality, a little bit more, because I grew up not very far from this place. And when I was a teenager, uh, um, I visited many times the place to enjoy uh, Formula One and, uh, and also motorcycle, Boldo, MotoGP and everything. Then I came back later with different jobs. 
I have been here, for example, uh, one of the speak official speakers of the circuit when I was uh, 18 or 19 a years old. Yeah, commentator. Still in my job. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> not with your not not with your level and your talent, but uh, I tried to do my best, and uh, it was a good experience. And I grew up here. I learned so many things from uh, François Chevalier, who was the CEO of the place for many years. Then in 2000, when Bernie bought the place, he put Philippe Gurgeon as president, a French guy. And I have been elected by Philippe to be uh, first the track manager, then the race director, then the, the global CEO of the place a few years later. So I spent 12 years. And um, it's, it's a place that I really love because uh, uh, we, when we arrived there, we had to rebuild everything. Uh, but always keeping the spirit and the DNA that Paul Ricard left behind him here. And this is a place where totally dedicated for the for the motorsport activities. Also, all around, it's absolutely amazing. It's beautiful. You are in the heart of Provence, 20 minutes from the seaside, but also with um, uh, an, an incredible, incredible environment around. So this is a very unique circuit, I, I can say. And to be back here always is a big pleasure. And, and at the same time, I have to say that most of the people working here uh, had the, the honor to manage them for many years. So it is always a pleasure, something very sensible to meet them again. Today is a very special day. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit older than yesterday. Oh, yes, yeah, you're both yeah, happy yeah, birthday, yeah, Gerard. You. And, and it's a real place for me to... I feel young when I stay here for the <laughs> exception today because I spent so many years. So with my souvenir here, I say, ah, yes, I was so young. So it's the same. But this is a very special place. You, you're right. And I have to say that for sports car activities, for endurance, it's the perfect track to do it. Final question about Paul Ricard is it must do your heart good to see the investment coming here. The French Grand Prix now visiting back again yeah. for the first time in many years last year. Uh, and we're seeing some real changes around the place. Yeah, because when you host a, 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 a huge event like the Formula One Grand Prix, you have to adapt the place to welcome the public, but also all the partners and uh, the entertainment around. And I think that this is a good thing, because uh, when you are a racetrack and if you have a chance to welcome uh, an event like the Formula One, it's a big add value for the place. It's the guarantee for you to, to exist on the top of the visibility and the platform all around the world. Now to manage a racetrack is something very challenging, very difficult, especially in motorsport. It's more difficult to manage a racetrack than a, a stadium, for example, or, or a, a place where you host some basketball, handball, something. So that's very difficult, very challenging. And the fact there is the Formula One here is a bit, probably a big add value, so I'm very happy for them. Of course, uh, when you accept to welcome Formula One, you have to accept also all the commitments that you have to put on the table with that so grandstand and you change a little bit the arrangement around but that's the part of the deal and this is very good for, uh, for the racetrack but also for all the people around it's, uh, it's good for the position of the racetrack in the world I can ask you one final question because mm. later today as we record this of course this will not be going out till next yeah. week you're going to have some exciting news for the European Le Mans series in the calendar uh, for this year you mean for this yeah, year yeah correct we, we have made a change on the calendar a small one but uh, I think good one. Apparently, all the team received the information this morning and they were very happy about that. We have made a visit last week in Barcelona for two days with my organization team to set up and to prepare everything in order to welcome very well the race in July and to organize very well, the, to try to organize very well the race. And um, we understood, we know that the temperature will be a um, serious one, a good one in the middle of the summer in Barcelona. And when we spend the day on the racetrack, we, we start to discuss with the people from the, the very cooperative people from the circuit. And we ask them if it's possible to imagine to race on, on the evening more than during the day. Uh, and... We were very surprised to see that they, they were totally open-minded on that. And uh, we go through this idea during all the visits we have made. And finally, we have decided to set up the race on Saturday evening. Uh, that's big at value because it means that you will have the start of the race at 6.30 on the Saturday afternoon during the day condition through the sunset, which is always amazing. And you will finish the last hours of race uh, by night condition. There is already a light system around the track because the they are bikes, welcoming yeah. uh, the, the bikes exactly and also the, the cars later on, uh, on the season. So 
It will be a very special event after Le Mans in Barcelona. We will have a race with night condition and sunset condition. And uh, I think that for the team, this is very exciting. And at the same time, we will spend two days with full activities on the track. And we get let the Sundays available for the team to enjoy Barcelona. So that's, that's a new format. And we'll be very spectacular. No question about that. Fantastic. You've been very generous for your time for now. Look forward to a great racing weekend. At yeah, we hope so. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much, Rob. Thanks. In the Dragon Speed Garage with uh, Dragon Speed team principal, Elton Julian. Uh, Elton, you and I bumped into each other in the paddock yesterday. And it seems that it's been a pretty happy introduction for your new programme in IndyCar. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a massive undertaking for a team that's not only new, uh, but is already participating in multiple other series. Uh, but to go into a, a formula like that that I consider probably now, having been in it, the, probably the most competitive formula on the planet. I only think maybe Aussie V8s is at the level. Uh, but yeah, it's been an incredible experience. Um, you know, we've had very limited this and limited that, but we've been able to complete the two races. We've met most of our internal targets. Um, and the only thing to look for next is an actual race result. Uh, but uh, the progression from St. Pete... Uh, then going to a natural road course and the progression through the sessions leading into the race and then the way we finish the race I'm really really happy with and it's not super obvious but if you look at the stint times and the people that Ben ran with uh, towards the end of the race and the quality of those teams and the experience those teams have we just blended in with everybody else at the end and that felt good I felt normal we talked as well about what's achievable in IndyCar in particular where the gap is that you feel that you would like to fill, might be able to fill, in terms of the way that the team prepares, presents and performs. And that that seems to be a rather narrower gap in IndyCar than perhaps some of the other series you're competing in. Yeah, I think the way I equated it to somebody when I was in, in the States last is as we, you know, as we really have been learning at such a rate of speed, but it's basically like saying, OK, there's 24 Oricas out there and everybody's had it for nine years. <laughs> and then you show up and you say, I want to race and you buy one and you go and try to compete against all us that have been doing it over here for years. So it's, it's that type of, of fine-tuning and then, of course, then you go a step further and make the dampers open and other little windows in the car that you can do some stuff and it's, a, it's an incredible championship and I think IndyCar could actually do more to promote the diversity of the build of the car. You know, people think it's a spec series, and yes, in general it is, but when you go to build one, I'm 57 vendors deep yep. to construct a car. Wow. So, I mean, you're, you are deciding where certain things go and who makes them, and you know, there's a lot of work to be done. And that was one of the things that, I mean, the, the series was so complimentary of our crew because they understood that we achieved something in a two-week period leading up to St. Pete that people normally take months to achieve. And it finished. We're back here. European yep. Le Mans series happy hunting ground for Dragon Speed yeah. champions here with under the G-Drive mm-hmm. racing but Dragon Speed firmly the team that uh, provided that platform uh, just a couple of seasons ago uh, the car in not super suitable for work all over carbon um, very porn star look there if you don't mind me saying so uh, for the car this season would it stay like that? I think so I think so we, we debuted it at uh, at Daytona and we liked it and um you know, as we build the, the brand over different formulas, it, it was the right time for for this to get mean. <laughs> so what do you reckon? You've seen now the depth of cars in this championship. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about WEC in a moment, but of the LMS. 18 yeah. uh, LMP2 awesome. cars. That is awesome. bonkers. It's fantastic. I mean, I pulled into this paddock on Tuesday because obviously we were late coming back from, from Barber and everybody had already been running, but... Thinking of when I first came up in 16 and the difference and the growth and where we're at now, it's not just the volume, of course, but the quality. And, uh, you know, a little funny thing for me is like in 17, we won the championship, but we had, you know, let's say Elton Julian, Nick Manassian, and Nicola Pierre in one camp. Yeah. Now we're spread across three <laughs> and we're the top three cars on the track. Fantastic stuff. It's really, really cool. And so the talent level, top to bottom, the lineups this year are massively good. Really impressive. You, you said this earlier, maybe IndyCar have not communicated as well as they could on the diversity of the cars. Yeah. Is there something here where the level here 
it's way better than actually the profile of this championship. Yeah, but that's just, you know, the series can only do so much. It's also the, the eye of the beholder. The people have to accept that, yeah, it's a European championship. But for me, this one circles around the WEC. It's the best sports car championship in the world for me is this one. And I've taken part in all of them at some point or another. So I, I, I'm happy to say we'll stand behind that statement. This is the best championship. And we don't know yet because we've not asked you a question, but here's my chance to ask it. Yep. What the future holds at the moment for Dragon Speed. Yep. Whether or not the IndyCar program might become the dominant theme. Whether or not we can expect to see you staying in sports cars. And for that matter, if you are going to stay in sports cars, whether it's here, whether it's WEC, whether it's both. Right. Well, I, I can tell you what I know for sure. Three more IndyCar races this year, one of those being the Indy 500. Uh, we have uh, a fantastic European Le Mans Championship in front of us. We have duties to finish the championship we entered at the beginning of last year that's still ongoing <laughs> with the WEC. Uh, what happens there moving forward really depends. Uh, it's, you know, a lot of guys have voiced their opinions as to how complicated it is to put programs together straddling two different calendar years. I think David was quite accurate about his statements. Uh, David Cheng from Jota. Yeah. So uh, it's, you know, there's interest. But it gets to the point all of a sudden where is the team interested? Yeah, um, and that's important. I, this, like, I'm, I'm sitting now looking at this paddock, anticipating this race. We could win it. We could finish twelfth. You know, IndyCar is the same. You look at the guys that have been there for years. You have a new garden that's running around P16 in practice, can't figure it out, finishes fourth in the race, and then vice versa. You have a Ferrucci that's P3 and FP2, and then qualifies just ahead of us. So it's, it's like session to session, it's changing all the time. It makes it feel like the old days. Pippo, we've got the sounds, first of all, of some fun sim racing or something you're doing in the background. So classic that while you're not in a race car at the moment, you just want to be in a race car at all times. Uh, how you doing, first of all, my man? Yeah, I'm doing great, Marshall. Thank you. It's a pleasure again to be talking to you. And uh, yeah, we... Uh, when I'm not on a racetrack, why not uh, enjoy a little bit? But uh, yeah, here with friends, trying to uh, to play a little bit, but not on a serious way, just just having fun. But yeah, pleasure to be talking to you and looking forward to what's coming uh, in the near future. Well, we're going to see you at Long Beach this weekend. I might actually hold this till uh, our show right after Long Beach, but was really happy to see that this association with Ferrari uh, one that started last year at Le Mans with the AF Course team. Uh, we're seeing that continue through a family that means a lot to us here in North America, that being Giuseppe Risi and Risi Competizione. Tell us about how this opportunity came together for Le Mans. Yeah, no, for me, just, again, a, a fantastic opportunity to be back with Ferrari. Um, as you mentioned, I was last year on the factory program um, that was running three cars and uh, they decided to go with only two cars uh, with AF Corsa this year and um, and so it was natural that uh, if there was going to be another Ferrari team that I would uh, probably be involved so uh, again fantastic opportunity for me to join such a, a great team like Rizzi. Um you know they've been to Le Mans a few times they've done really well in the past and and um, and they represent the brand uh, in in America very well. So um, it's great to be to be going to Le Mans with them. Um, hopefully, bringing a little bit of my experience from last year um, to help them secure the victory, which came close in 2016. Um, I know it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a again GTE Pro, the most difficult category at Le Mans. Uh, full of factories, but I feel like I have a, a little bit of experience um, that I can bring to the table and and help the team to succeed. Um, I've been with Ford in 2017, uh, where I finished second, so came close to victory myself as well. And and uh, it's the one race that it's missing right now on my uh, on my CV. Um, last year, uh, a dream come true to to race for Ferrari since uh, I've been a a young and passionate kid uh, around the brand together with my father. So, uh, 
yeah, fantastic news for me to be going back there with uh, with a brand that I that I really like, and 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 hopefully we can have a great uh, a great time this uh, this year as well. I love the lineup that you're going to be part of here with Risa Competizione in there, uh, Ferrari 488 uh, entry there. So you've got well, granted they have you listed as being Italian at least on the press release. So I guess maybe yeah, I, I, if you I drive a, I, is that part of your contract? Actually, you signed to drive a Ferrari, you therefore forfeit your Brazilian heritage I, and automatically become Italian. I well, you know, I don't think many people know, but I have uh, dual citizenship and I do have Italian citizenship. So uh, there you go. Uh, I'm a Brazilian, but uh, when it comes to Ferrari, I'm a, I'm an Italian. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, no, just yeah, they they sent me a message right after they said they because um, I had to send my passports and I sent both the Brazilian and, and the Italian. And I guess um, the person who did the the press might have uh, seen my Italian passport for some reason. Maybe it was uh, on purpose. Maybe it wasn't. But uh, yeah, there you go. Given the two, we knew which one they were going to choose, but. I love the lineup, not only you as part of this team, but Ollie Jarvis, right? Someone else who's just driven everything like you. And then also uh, Jules Guignon, son of a former F1 driver. So we've got this Italian-slash-Brazilian angle. We have England covered, and we have France covered. Tell me about this driver lineup, man. It's a, it's a very diverse one for sure. Yeah, look, I think um, I think it's it's great. Uh, Jules will be his first time at Le Mans, uh, but he comes from a GT background, so um, I think he's uh, he's gonna be a great fit. He's French. Uh, it fits well with the race itself, and and I think he's been doing a fantastic job for Bentley. So, yeah, there you go, a, a guy who can uh, who can be there to to help. Um, and, and Jarvis, uh, someone that I respect a lot, I've been racing against him for a few years already. And and um, as you said, he's he's a top class driver, and um, I'm really happy to be able to finally share a car with him. Uh, I've been a uh, long time driving against him on track, um, and and he's a guy that uh, is uh, you know always been extremely fair from from any battle that i had with him on track so i think it's uh it's a nice guy to have around with so much experience uh he's won le mans in p2 finished maybe two or three times on the podium overall with uh with audi so yeah i think the the lineup uh, it's good obviously we're gonna be mixing up with guys that have been driving gts for you know a long time you know the factories and all that but uh, I have a strong belief that uh, Rizzi has a has a good car. They've shown in the past. Uh, they finished second in 2016, uh, you know, and they've been you know finished second this year at Daytona. So I really like what I'm seeing, uh, what I have seen so far, and I hope that we can uh, you know step by step arrive at the race day with uh, with everyone synced and and with the same objective. Let's talk about you and Ollie Jarvis for a moment because that was one of the topics uh, that fascinated me. So this weekend, for example, at Long Beach, you and your upcoming Lamont teammate are going to try and beat the living poop out of each other to win the uh, Bubba Burger Grand Prix come Saturday. You obviously as part of the Action Express Racing Cadillac program, Ollie with his Mazda Team Yost effort. You already mentioned the fairness and such about how the two of you have, have treated each other on track, but is there any is there any fun or interesting angles to think of? Hmm, maybe I can get to understand him a little bit better since he's a full time rival for me. Just now that we get to be teammates for a weekend, and maybe he'll be wondering if there's any things he can decipher about you that might help him in IMSA. Well, let's leave that for the Uh I think. Uh... Uh, I think we'll get to know more about each other um, after we drive the same car. It's, you know, as I said before, he's a he's a class act and um, always fun to to race against him. Um, you know, it's it's difficult to find drivers that you that you can respect, and he's definitely one of them. And and um, yeah, uh, in IMSA we are rivals, and that will continue to be so uh, no matter what. 
but uh, nevertheless, a big respect from, I think, both sides, uh, from each other. And hopefully, hopefully I can also learn from him a lot because I think he's a guy with so much experience in his mm. career that that can uh, anyone can uh, benefit from it. And I, I hope that he sees a little bit the same way uh, from me. Uh, I've been driving a few different cars the past few years, so that's, you know, for me has has made me mature as a driver, being able to be diverse and, and, and drive different cars. So, um, yeah, that, that'll be fun. Uh, exchange a little bit of experience between between him and I, and then bringing Jules to the equation, uh, a guy who's been more a GT driver than a prototype. So definitely a different point of view there. So, yeah, will be uh, will be fun. Really looking forward to it. Um, as I said before, Le Mans is the one that is, it, it has come close, but it's, it's still missing. Uh, and, I, and I'm and i glad that uh, I have another opportunity to go there and, and tackle the, this amazing race, which is definitely one of the most beautiful races out there. And, um, and, and, and try my best to hopefully one day have Le Mans as well uh, on my CV as a, as a winning driver. Well, amen to that. Let's close on this, Pippo. So you're going to have to do something along with your teammates that is a very unique challenge in that you're coming in to a new team. I believe all three of you guys will be new to Reese. I could be wrong, but uh, all three of you effectively, I believe, will be new to the team. Uh, Some will be new to the car. Uh, Jules will be new to the track. And you're going to have to work with Reese's amazing race engineer, Rick Mayer, to come up with something that works for all three of you behind the wheel. Share with us the process, my man, of all those things I mentioned, new, 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 as the three pros climbing into the car who then also need how to figure out what each other likes, how to work with each other, how to give feedback to Rick so he can come up with a car that works for everybody. That sounds like a lot to do and then go succeed in the race. But how do you, from a driving engineering standpoint, how do the three of you figure each other out and then make a successful car? Yeah, you know, I think it's always a challenge, especially from drivers who are not participating or driving a car like full season. We're just coming in for one race. So I think we're going to, it's extremely important for us to take step one step at a time, you know, go through our chronogram of testing and and most most of all the most important thing in my point of view is is for us to try and follow what the team knows you know what the team has uh developed over the years because in the end of the day uh rick and 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 the team uh, they are more experienced than us in in that sense so uh, try not to go crazy about it, understand how the car works. But I think, you know, I will have a clear picture since I raced with Ferrari last year. And and hopefully I can help and lead a little bit the way, especially for the other two who hasn't driven the car yet. Uh, and for Jules as well, who will be a rookie at Le Mans. And it's, you know, never easy thing to do because it's, it's such a difficult race. Not only, if, you know, physically, which is, not that demanding, but uh, mentally and and to cope with all those things. So I I hope that I myself and 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 Jarvis we can help him on that point of view. Hopefully I can try and 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 guide them a little bit from what I know from the car. But then after that is following um, the steps, you know, one behind the other and and following the the team in um, in what will be a very important uh, schedule during practice. Uh, so that we get to the race with a with a an okay uh, and balanced car that we can cope with it for 24 hours. Big task ahead for you and the team. Looking forward to seeing how it all plays out. I love of the many things I love about Reese, the fact that they have become either domestic in IMSA or international with the 24 Hours of Le Mans. A a, a disruptive force among the big full factory entries. That, I think, is going to be a pretty cool thing to watch. And I think with you and your teammates, I think they're going to be in a fine, fine position. Well, hopefully you win the race that's going on in the background, my man. And thanks for always taking some time for me. No, thank you, Marshall. It's going to be 
like I said, uh, a pleasure for me to be back at Le Mans. And uh, as you said, hopefully we'll we'll come out on top, but never easy. Um, so we have to keep our foot our foot on the ground and and understand that uh, this thing that we're doing it's it's not an easy thing. Otherwise, many others uh, would do it. And uh, and you know, don't take for granted because those factory teams they've been doing for so many years and they have such a such a great system and procedures so for us it's going to be really important that we we follow our own procedures and 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 don't look much to the side and just try to get the job done so yeah hopefully we'll have a good one and uh, hopefully i'll talk to you after the race with uh, the spare day between testing and race weekend coming up from tomorrow and with one of the new additions to the European Le Mans series, very new addition to the European Le Mans series, with the Oregon team in their rainbow-coloured uh, normal M30, Gustas Grimbergas from Lithuania. Gustas, you're a very fresh face uh, to this championship, and that's not a surprise. Just tell, tell us just exactly how old are you? Uh, yeah, so I'm 16, just turned 16 uh, at the end of March, so, so new to to endurance racing and motor racing as as all. Well, I knew we were taking pulling your leg a little bit in the press room yesterday evening, wondering whether or not you'd actually be even allowed on the pit walk because those were sixteen-year-olds. But you'll be out there um, and racing. Tell us a bit about the racing background that's brought you to LMP3. So I started karting uh, when I was six, six, seven years old in 2010. Uh, from then, I competed in. In my local Lithuanian championship, uh, in the Polish championship, uh, then started racing in Italy, and last year I did the full season in uh, in European karting with the Birol Art Factory team. So, so I learned a lot there. Now you've not mentioned results. How's it been going? Uh, well, I've I won the Lithuanian championship. I won the Polish championship. I won Italian North championships and. And I won the Junior Rock World Cup, the international trophy for that. Uh, sorry, didn't win, came second. <laughs> but last year was a bit more difficult, but hopefully this year I can add another title to to my books. So just three championship wins then, since you've been, what, how old? Six. Si- <laughs> okay, seven. <laughs> It, it is becoming uh, very much a development formula in sports car racing, particularly LMP3. So tell us a little bit about uh, how you became aware of LMP3 and how you've found your way here. Well, I first became aware of uh, LMP1 and WEC before Alonso. So I was interested uh, in it from, I think, like 2015 uh, and just naturally started watching more of endurance racing, not just WEC, also Blanc fan and ELMS and IMSA and saw the the LMP3 cars cool very cool these are seen as being an entry formula into sports prototype racing and sometimes maybe a little overlooked by people but um, this is good racing yeah definitely maybe we don't get as much media attention as the P2s or the GTs but this is also a big grid also very close racing uh, and it's it's uh, a lot of teams professional teams racing here racing for class wins and and always close competition maybe we're overlooked a bit too much now I'm going to pull your leg a little bit more because you did tell me one thing in the press uh, press office yesterday which was uh, how it is you keep up to date with sports car racing and we, we, we I'm doing this just because I know that when my friend and colleague Marshall Pruitt across the water hears this particular one it's going to give him a bit of a bit of a bit of a kind of a, a bit of a bit of a rush but do tell me how do you keep up to date with sports car racing uh, I listen to the podcast uh, that's that's how I really got into to really knowing the inside of of sports cars through through this podcast so you have absolutely no chance now <laughs> um, we're very flattered it is great to see you great to see someone coming from a new a proud nation like Lithuania not the first person in the European Le Mans series but it's not a very long list is it no it's uh, I'm the second Lithuanian here uh, Lithuania is not really a big motor racing country where yet yet uh, mostly 
the biggest thing in Lithuanian sport is basketball. We're, we're good at that. We've won a few European championships and world championships, but now we're trying to make motor racing more popular, at least as popular as, as basketball. Let's see whether or not we can add another European Championship in a completely different sport. Gustas, it's been a delight to meet you. We'll be seeing you throughout the year, I'm absolutely certain. And I hope we're going to see that wide smile that's on your face here, anticipating four hours of racing uh, on Saturday, Sunday rather, uh, around this fantastic Paul Ricard circuit, one of six for the season. Yeah, and hopefully you'll see this car and us three on the top step of the podium on Sunday. Great stuff. And that was inside the sports car paddock for the week of April 15th. If you have suggestions on folks you'd like to have us interview, myself here in North America, more often than not, or Graham in Europe, just drop us a line on Twitter. Super, super easy for us to reach out to folks, uh, provided they're available, of course. But we, uh, we definitely love this new show that seems to only be gaining in popularity and just general, general reach as we speak to a wide variety of folks every week in our various worlds of sports car racing. All right. With all that said, I am Marshall Pruitt. This is the Marshall Pruitt Podcast brought to you by Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers. Thank you for listening.